1: Whether it's Cherry Garcia, Americone Dream, Fish Food, or Justice Remixed, Ben & Jerry's is famous for blending ice cream with cause marketing. While many brands run away from controversy, this one runs towards it. Today Matthew McCarthy the CEO of Ben & Jerry's is talking to us about their journey from a scoop shop in Vermont to becoming one of the most recognizable brands in the world what sets them apart and how this iconic and pioneering brand has disrupted the ice cream industry is what we're talking about right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. welcome Matthew
2: Jeffrey thank you very much that's a do real Do you use Axe seriously do you do you use it I do not use Axe right now, but I use other products that uh, that are from Unilever.
1: There you go, brother. Good to see you. Good to have you. <laughs> I have to ask you, because it's right there on your website, and I love this, because one of the tenets that I have in the Hero Club is to pick a side. I don't care what side it is. Just pick one, because then at least we know where you stand. But you like to run into controversy rather than running away from it. Was the fear of the public backlash enough to stop you from supporting a cause? Isn't that enough right there?
2: Absolutely not. Yeah, uh, and it's, I get asked this question a lot. First of all, thank you for having me. Uh, Absolutely, and Greg and Trish, I appreciate you including me in your program. Um, I get this is a question I get asked uh, near the top of the list. Aren't you afraid of pissing people off? Aren't you afraid of alienating <laughs> uh, half your consumer base or half your potential consumers? And in fact, what I've uh, what I've come to find is it's is that narrative is not only. Uh, less and less appropriate every day, I think it's dangerous, particularly if you're in the yeah. CPD world where you've got a brand. Um, listen, all humans have values. All teams and companies are in the business of serving other people, whether it's for your products or your services. So the idea that you should uh, not allow your employees, uh, your partners to bring their values to work just doesn't make any sense. And in fact, Amen. I think in today's hyper-transparent world, uh, the people we serve, our fans, they demand that we let them know where we stand all the time. And in fact, if you don't share your values, a lot of consumers think you're just hiding them.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I've said this for a long time and I wrote about this in the Hero Factor. Again, pick a side because let's, let's take uh, Kathy Truitt or Truitt Kathy down at uh, Chick-fil-A. I don't agree with his politics. I don't like his stand on same-sex marriage. I don't like the way he, he treats those people who might be gay, lesbian, homosexuals. I mean, he has a different view about them. He treats them as great people. Don't get me wrong there. But uh, but that doesn't gonna make me stop doing business with him. He has the right to do whatever he wants. And he makes a good chicken sandwich, just like you guys make great ice cream. I might not like all your... Uh, all your things. I mean, you guys listen, I live in South Dakota. You live in Vermont. I'm sure that we won't agree on everything, but I like Cherry uh, Barry Garcia or whatever. Jerry Garcia. Is that what it's called? <laughs> Jerry I Garcia. Yeah, I love that stuff, brother. You don't don't ever stop making that. You know, why is it you think that corporate America has been so resident in, in, in terms of hesitant to be able to take a stand on what we might call
2: controversial issues or any issue for that matter? Mm, uh, I, I We could probably spend hours talking about this. I, I think a lot of it just comes down to us as people. People don't like being criticized, right? Yeah. People don't, it's just a human thing, right? You don't yeah. want someone tweeting or you want to see a headline that says, You suck or we hate you. We don't like you. It's controversy. Controversy is considered bad for business and people generally steer away from it. The, The interesting thing is that controversy is coming your way, whether you plan it or not. You know that business people, it's coming your way and it's coming faster than anybody has ever seen. And so we don't go seeking controversy. We don't seek
1: out. You're not, you're not trying to pick a fight, but if a fight's brought to
2: you, you'll stand up for what you believe in. Right. And you have to your our consumers are they're really watching very closely. Our partners we're very close with NGO partners. They want to know where the hell we stand on different issues. So I, I listen, I don't think it's I don't think it's helpful to go picking a fight or seeking to create controversy for controversies sake. But I do think that people are uh, in the business world can be a bit too thin-skinned. Um, and uh, you have to just decide, are you not taking on an issue because you're afraid of being criticized or actually you don't believe in it? Because if you believe in it and your people believe in it, uh, it's one of the best ways to galvanize your staff around things as well. Yeah.
1: do you Do you find even being at odds with your own staff and team or is everybody
2: pretty aligned around what you guys believe in? Oh, this is a, this is also a great question. So listen, I'm, I'm not aligned with my family sitting around the dinner table. So like it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a crazy idea to assume that any group of people that come together, uh, like Ben and Jerry's, everybody's of the same mind. What I would say is that it, a couple things, um, people know what we stand for. It's not a secret. We've been super public about These are our stands on any number of issues that relate to social justice or climate justice. And people that choose to be part of the Ben and Jerry's family do so knowing those things, period. So it's not like it's a secret. And I think that's why it's also really important to put your values out there as a business. The second thing I would say is that nothing destroys trust faster in your organization than people not feeling heard. Yeah. So disagreement. I welcome it. I encourage it because I want people we're not going to agree on everything. And anybody who has that idea that somehow we're all going to just be kumbaya all the time, that's a complete mirage. And that can be damaging to itself. At the same time, what you can't do is just shut people down. If People disagree with something I've done or we've taken a stance on or uh, on on a a social justice issue. Create the space to be heard and agree to disagree. That's that's normal.
1: Yeah, I like healthy tension, and in fact, I talk about that. I think healthy tension is a good thing because it gets you to a better place, doesn't it?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I think people being heard and being validated, even if you don't agree, yeah. super important for team co to, for team cohesion. Tension is another thing. Tension is a superpower if managed well within a business. Uh, That's a whole other topic, but I do agree with you on that. Well, we could say
1: healthy debate, certainly healthy debate. We both agree on that. Tension's a little tougher to pull off. I agree with you there. Uh, But high performance teams typically have a lot of tension, which is also a good thing because you have that competitive nature. So I'll give you that too. How I'm just curious, you're you're driving me a whole bunch of questions, Matthew, about you as well. I mean, you came from Unilever, brother. I mean, that is not what I would consider the Ben and Jerry's kind of uh, playbook for the kind of person I would look for. Typically, I would. But at the same time, you seem to fit the mold for what I would think would be Ben and Jerry's the way you show up, the way you look, the way you speak like this is bullshit. I love that stuff. So how was it difficult for you to step out of the one what I would I know what Unilever looks like? I mean, it's got former military uh, pilots, uh, a lot of different people cut cut from a different kind of cloth. Was it difficult for you to switch over to
2: the to this environment and to this culture? Not at all. And, and I see where you're coming from. And I would respectfully want to frame it slightly differently. OK, so fair enough. The, so many of the Unilever brands were built by founders. Now, some of the brands we've created, some of the businesses we've created from scratch, but so many of our legacy businesses were created by founders who wanted to do something differently, wanted to do something in addition just to making soap, but actually really caring about health and hygiene and the the incredible benefits that come from washing your hands. And so interestingly, as Unilever has progressed on its mission to be a company that is anchored in sustainability and making sustainability commonplace, the threads uh, of those, those brand truths are actually very well woven into Unilever. And when Unilever chose to buy Ben & Jerry's 20 years ago, it did so quite mindfully of the direction that Unilever wanted to go as a company that was about brands with Purpose. And you don't have to dig very far to see the work that Alan Jope and other executives at Unilever, the tremendous leadership that they have provided for where we not only create great products across our different categories and divisions, but how do we actually infuse purpose into the things that we do? Um, and uh, Ben and Jerry's just happens to be maybe a little bit more further out on some of those uh, on those topics. But we're not as far apart from some of the other businesses and brands as you might think in terms of the the posture uh, and the strategy to make sure that purposes are what anchor our businesses, not just great, great products that lead their categories.
1: I mean, how did that come up? Did, because of who you are and your background, when, when the job at Ben and Jerry's come up, everyone said, oh, we got to we got to talk to Matthew. <laughs> I have a feeling there was some of that conversation going on.
2: Uh, I I don't want to speculate on things I don't know, but I'll speak from from my perspective is that probably about 10 years ago, just selling stuff just wasn't enough for me. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a super competitive guy. I want to grow. I'm in business. We're not an NGO. I'm in business. I like to grow. I like to win. I like to serve my customers and serve consumers. That alone wasn't quite doing it for me. And so I naturally, naturally, me, I, I was finding that I wanted to do more with the businesses, do more with the brands, specifically through environmental, right? Environmental animal welfare for some of our products that are uh, uh, agricultural animal-based products uh, or in agriculture, sustainable, regenerative agriculture. And I started moving in that direction and just kept progressing that way. So Ben and Jerry's, you know, you don't always know how the hell you get into a job, but once you get there, you sometimes go, oh, this makes, this makes sense. So I'm incredibly fortunate. I, I think I'm, I have a position of, of privilege to be part of the Ben and Jerry's legacy, um, particularly at this moment when we've got so many challenges, both on the business um, and the uh, the the social and social justice and climate justice fronts.
0: C-suite radio.
1: So, what are the principles that you're living by at Ben and Jerry's, and do those differ? Do those differ across the whole Unilever uh, brand uh, company?
2: Uh, so let me answer the second part first, is that the, building on that, that idea of of brands with purpose, it's not BS. It's very well published. In fact, Paul Pullman really helped accelerate the role that we're on and the current leadership under Alan joke had just progressed that. Uh, and so uh, I think that while each of the businesses or brands may uh, have very different expressions of purpose and or social or climate issues that they're tackling, there's a lot of commonality in why they're doing it. Now that being said, and Ben and Jerry's, we're guided by a very simple vision that Jerry and Ben laid out uh, almost uh, you know almost 43 years ago and this idea of linked prosperity. The idea that as our business grows, all the people that we touch, all the communities that we impact and can impact benefit with us. And that vision of linked Prosperity is supported by our three-part mission, a product mission to make the best products in the best way possible, an economic mission to grow profitably and make sure that we are a thriving business that's healthy, uh, and then also a social mission is for us to actually, that's kind of where we started. Your first question was, how do we bring our values and do business differently and make business part of the solution, not just doing less bad in the world? And, and so we're... Hmm. How do you start that off every day at work? I mean,
1: do you, do you, do you send out an email once a week or how do, you, how do you put that forth so that everybody gets it? Everybody's drinking, and I use the word Kool-Aid, they're drinking the Kool-Aid or eating the ice cream every single day and knowing this is what we're supposed to be doing.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I'm quite fortunate that I've got a tremendously talented staff um, and I try to be a student of new power uh, and, and transition from a lot of the stuff that I learned from much of my career, which frankly is yesterday ways of leading, uh, around old pal. And so, um, a lot of my job is ensuring that we've got clarity of the tethers between the actions that everybody's taking every day, week and month. And how does that link back to our three-part mission? We certainly have uh, embraced agile uh, principles within the business uh, as a global company. We've got a, all kinds of programs that range from sustainability through to innovation. How do we drive our core and a number of other projects? So everybody's whole po- everybody's kind of rowing the same direction on the stuff they're doing, say from a project basis, uh, whether it's products or social mission. Um, and then a lot of my a lot of my job is actually getting the hell out of the way uh, because the vision's crystal clear. Uh, it doesn't mean it's easy, but it's actually very clear. So when people are confused, or what about this? What about that? My job is to provide clarity. Clarity is power, and I want to provide that clarity. And then secondly, I want to help get barriers out of my team's way. Uh, so every day, to answer your question, is usually about um, ensuring there's clarity about what needs to get done, what does success look like, and then have radically redistributing power within the organization and following my efforts to get barriers out of teams way. And actually, in a lot of cases, asking them, what do they need me to do for them? Right? That's probably the biggest change. Again, it's boil things down. I grew up in a world, I spent a lot of years working where people were telling me what to do, and I was therefore learning that that's what leadership is about. I've had to shed a lot of that stuff. You know, there are, certain, there are times you got to be super clear, and there's decisions that I as the CEO, that only I can take. But there's a lot of things that I don't need to be doing. But I was kind of taught, well, that's what CEOs do. And the reality right. is, no, yeah. you know, the the, fa- the higher you go, the less you know. Yeah, and I actually find that that's very much true, particularly with the speed of business. So I've had to recalibrate. How do I keep you know thirty years of business experience relevant and fresh, but not smother my staff with old ways of thinking that everything needs to go through me or I'm the grand poobah? That 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 not only slows down the organization and decision making, it actually is a real turnoff to younger talent who have ideas and they need my help. They may not have all the answers but they need guidance and they need freedom to actually do awesome stuff for Ben and Jerry's.
1: Yeah. You can't make as much ice cream that way. There's <laughs> no way. You know, I, I always tell everybody cause my team will ask me and I said, I don't know. I asked my very talented, good looking and, uh, and motivated team. That's the way I try to live that. And the more I do of that, I find out that I can get a lot more done. In fact, my, my new rule right now, Matthew is following you is better than following up on you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I've, I keep following you is better than following up on you, mm-hmm. which means no, go it. do it, get it done, make it happen. I think that's important. You know, everyone has changed course in the last number of months. I mean, this mess that we're in with COVID is what I'm talking about, not the election. I'm talking about COVID. You know, what was your biggest hurdle and how did you overcome it? I can imagine manufacturing was a little bit of an issue. Sometimes distribution could be a little bit of an issue. How did you change things?
2: Yeah, that's a. am glad you asked that. Um, and, and we're still in the middle of it. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, these the recent increases and in spikes, not only in the United States, but we have a big business in Europe um, and the, the lockdowns. It's still present. It's nothing's going away. Right. And, and everybody right. who's in business understands that sometimes better than 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 other folks do. The first order of business is always about um, lives then livelihoods, right? So the model's quite simple. We didn't invent it. Lots of people were talking about that back in kind of March and April with the idea of lives first. What needs to be true across all of our touch points? So I closed my offices. We kept manufacturing open. What does it look like? And how do we actually leverage the best science, uh, medical, and hygiene practices to make sure that we're keeping our people safe across all touch points? That's the, the, the kind of first order of business. And then the second thing was really making sure that we pivoted. Right? So we're a company that um, we don't do a lot of traditional advertising, but we created a tremendous amount of assets and a lot of storytelling, a lot of dialogue, you know, tens of thousands of assets that we create every year. Some of those assets overnight were no longer relevant. So we had to literally set those aside and immediately pivot the team to say, how are we pivoting? No, that's not cool. Can't be talking about that. That launch doesn't make sense. That asset doesn't work. And so there was a tremendous amount of work that the team did in kind of the um, February into March and uh, March into April to pivot the business so that we could keep um, supporting uh, the, the activities uh, of, of what we were doing. And the, the third thing I would say is uh, keeping up with demand. All right, so we've had a, a big surge in, in our business. We were already growing pretty, pretty nicely beforehand, uh, but we're the the we lead in e-commerce, we lead in home delivery, uh, and uh, in traditional channels. You know, I, I uh, it, being in the CPG, being in the grocery business for a lot of my life, uh, uh, I never had imagined that I would see both e-commerce taking off and traditional retail taking off uh, that way. So keeping up with demand and taking care of our manufacturing folks. People talking about frontline workers. Well, the people who have the privilege of working from home because they're an office situation, there are challenges that come with that and I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. Manufacturing folks are, are really the heroes in a lot of ways, going to work every day and putting themselves out there. So caring for them and taking care of those folks. And the last thing I'd say is we have a big restaurant business at Ben & Jerry's. We're in the scoop shop business. We've got hundreds of shops around the world that have been hit incredibly hard, uh, really devastating. And so supporting that network, supporting our franchisees who we value uh, so, so much has been, um, uh, been, uh, been a big task for us.
1: It's what are you doing fun. for them, Matthew? Could I, I mean, I, you know, I think we talk about business, we talk about first responders and I keep talking about a lot of our community are business first responders. I consider you and other leaders in the C-suite business first responders because our job is to get people back to work mm. and to t- take care of not just the lives, but the livelihood because without the livelihood, we don't have a lot of lives. I mean, in terms of what we can do, but, but when I think about those restaurant workers, when I think about those people in, in you know, and, in, in food in the food delivery, Delivery business and what they do for us—it's amazing. They're 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 first responders. They're making things happen. Mm-hmm. What are you doing to really help
2: help take care of them? Um, I'm glad you asked. There's there's a number of things. The first order of business was giving people a sense of security. Yeah. Immediately coming out and telling people you're not going to lose your job. We mm-hmm. are going to make sure that that we keep paying you. And, and and just take that right off of people's plates because everybody was just completely freaking out uh, uh, in the beginning. So that was the first order of business is making sure that people understood that we would continue to pay them, keep them on the payroll, whether they were going to work or not. If you had to stay home to quarantine because you came into contact with somebody, we're going to pay you to stay home. We want people, if you come in and you're not feeling good, we're going to send you home and we want you to stay home. Don't make that choice. You don't want people to to make that choice. Right. And and, and it sounds like it doesn't sound like rocket science, but I was shocked shocked to see many businesses not doing that in Q2 or not providing the right uh, protection equipment for, for their employees. So I think that's probably the first order of business. And as it relates to our franchisees, I mean, uh, there's a, a whole suite of things that we've done to help them, uh, both economically, you know, waiving fees, um, basically uh, reducing the cost that they have to input to say marketing uh, of the brand and any number of, of things in that space. And also um, helping with expertise. So we had a lot of people early on saying, how the hell do I apply for these loans yeah. Right, and people, literally small business owners that have they've put their life's nest egg into buying a Ben and Jerry's franchise. We have to take care of them. We have to help them and support them, and providing uh, expertise and support, right down to how am I going to pay my rent, uh, and and helping people through some of those issues. And uh, thankfully, we've been really fortunate. We have a tremendously resilient and compassionate. Uh, team. Uh, and, and that includes our, our franchisees. And, and people have come together in ways I've never in my life seen the importance of the idea that, I, the, the, that I, I refer to it as compassion as a business imperative. You know, this isn't some kind of like warm, touchy-feely poster that's outside of your it's HR department. Not, yeah, it's not a it's not a, on as the a business or... imperative. Yeah. Um, and making that clear and explicit and unequivocal to people. Family first. If you don't take care of yourself and take care of each other, forget about the fricking ice cream. And I know that sounds basic when you say it, but you just have to put it out there to make sure people understand that you care about them as people and their families. Then the ice cream in a lot of ways kind of takes care of itself. You know,
1: you've got a couple parts of your business that aren't doing well, but the overall business is doing really well. So that's got a little bit of a mix in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you blend that across the whole group? I mean, because some people would say, you know, if you're an operational excellence kind of business, nope, if that's not doing well, we should cut it. We should move on it. We've we've been given air cover.
2: Was that ever a thought for you guys in the business to say, okay, no, 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 no. I'm I'm glad glad you you raised it. Uh, If you think Ben and Jerry's was started as an omni channel business before it was cool to call things "omni," Jerry and Ben started a shop about two miles down the road from where I am right now in a used gas station. And they were always in the business of people coming to them for ice cream or for them to bring the excitement and the joy of ice cream to events and whatnot. So we've always been in the business of figuring out a way to get the joy of Ben and Jerry's ice cream to people and places. And when I think about, for example, our scoop shops that have been hit so hard, it's impossible to extricate. To separate the value of the experience of going into a Ben and Jerry's and getting incredible service, getting an incredible product and having just yourself or you're with a, a significant other or you're with your family, your kids, uh, your grandparents, that whole experience is priceless. It's just one little moment in people's day, one little moment in people's life. It could be just a moment on their vacation. But to then say when, when, when you know what hits the fan with an unprecedented pandemic that we just need to cut that off, that would be insanity.
1: But yet there are a lot of businesses that are doing that and they're making a change and hence the difference. And that's why we have hero businesses. That's what we believe. And and it's great to be able to see a real witness of what we call the hero factor. And for those that are listening and watching right now, the hero factor is those businesses who put people in front of profits. You can still do both. And those businesses that do it, you can see it right here. They they gross more money than any other business out there. They make more money than any other business out there. They have employees who are more engaged, which is important because 53% of the employees who work for companies today can't even tell you the values of the company.
0: C-Suite Radio.
1: I want to go right out to our group, Uh, Matthew. I want to thank you so much for being with me live and sharing some of this wisdom, sharing your belief, but I want to turn it over to Greg and Tricia because we've got some great people and they're asking some great questions and uh, they're a lot smarter than me. So I want to go to them, but thank you very much.
3: Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Jeff. Thank you both Jeff and Matthew. That was uh, phenomenal. And I, I'm, I'm going to go straight to Pablo Torletti's question because you know, it it speaks to what you were saying, Jeffrey, in terms of the hero factor and, you know, building more successful businesses because of putting people first. Um, He says, uh, I believe businesses go far beyond products are all Ben and Jerry's make a better world efforts profitable for the business. And assuming that you'll probably say in some way, yes. How do you actually measure the economic return on the social environmental efforts? And, and how do you look at that in terms of the sustainability for the business model to have the sustainability of the social and environmental impact that you're promised to?
2: Yeah, this is uh, this is a, this is a huge question area. I'm glad it was asked. We could spend a lot of time just talking about that, but I'll, I'll pick a couple of kind of facets to, to speak to on that. When well, the first one is, when I came into this business, I asked Jerry, I asked Ben, I asked people who are long-termers in the business, do we do these things to sell more stuff? It's a very specific question, right? And I think I knew the answer, but I wanted to hear it from the experts, the guys that really cultivated the business. And the answer resoundingly immediately was no, we don't. And the logic is quite simple, uh, if you think about it. If you do these things through your values, whether it's for the environment, or for social causes, or social justice, in order to sell something, then the inverse is often true. If you do some testing on it, and you can't prove that it's going to sell more, you don't do those things. And so there's a real risk of cause marketing. We don't do cause marketing. Uh, cause cause marketing is marketing and I'm not against cause marketing. That's just not the Ben and Jerry's model. We do things because we care. We do things because these are the things that we believe in and we've inherited the values of our co-founders. And to Jeffrey's point, we don't always agree on those things. People don't know. I get all kinds of, we don't like what you did. Why don't you not talk about that issue? I get that stuff daily. That's perfectly fine. But the idea that um, that, that you do something in order to sell stuff is a very dangerous place when it comes to purpose, when it comes to values. On the flip side, it is also true that the people who know that we do good things believe that we're doing good things. Let me say it that way. They believe that we're doing things. They they support our business. They support our brand. They buy our ice cream. They are so, so far more engaged. Their affinity for us is so much higher. Their consumption usually is higher. So we track the hell out of that. We don't use it. We don't use it as a litmus test to say, "Wow, they're not going to like this headline." Don't do that. That's just going to piss people off. We don't do that. But on the backside, we absolutely measure very carefully: um, is that impact? uh, Is that having? Is what we did having an impact on the business? And there's plenty of times when the to do something costs more. Right, for us to provide the, the program that we have to support what we call Caring Dairy, You know the dairy industry is under lots of pressure in this country, here in Vermont and everywhere. There's a lot of challenges. There's also a lot of environmental impact of, of dairy farming. To do the things that we do, they cost more. So we have to figure it out. We have to figure out how we do those things. Is it the right thing to do? Yeah. Is it consistent with our values? Yeah. Would our fans want us to do it? Yeah. Is it easy? No. Is it cost more? No. Does it help profit? Not directly, but we're all smart business people here. It's our job to figure out how to do the right thing and be, and grow, follow our own economic mission. Cause again, we're a business. Some people are like, Oh, you guys are just like, you know, tree huggers. Well, that's not the point. We are growing business. And we, and I believe it's our job as business people to find a way to make doing the right thing the profitable thing.
4: All right. I am going to mix two questions, one with Greg Williams and one with Nancy May. Greg wants to know how and when do you draw the line as to the degree of controversy you'll engage and that from which you'll retreat or not engage? And Nancy May wants to know how much pushback do you get from your your parents at Unilever. So maybe you can mix that all together and just talk about where is the line for you in terms of controversy you'll get into. And maybe, maybe have you ever run into a time where Unilever said, you know, something, you're out too far on a, on a limb, Matthew, you're going to better pull back here and you may disagree with them.
2: That's a good question.
4: Uh, you, mix uh, in, you mix things in your ice cream like cones and fish food and chocolates. I'm going to mix things in my questions too. I'm game with that. I'll, I'll give that the chunks and swirl answer, is what
2: I'll do here. Um, um, I, I would say the, the framing of how uh, of that question would be different inside uh, Ben and Jerry's. So we don't have like a line by which we say, oh, that's too controversial. We've got the things that we stand for, the things that we've pledged to work on uh, for for many years. And that's super transparent. People can go to our website and see that. Every year we have external auditors come in and check out how have we made progress on those things. And we often fall short and that's totally fine. So that that stuff's all right out there for people to see. And so the area where we uh, do apply judgment is in the how. So let's just say when the team comes up with an idea we want to create a new flavor of ice cream or we have a new pint uh, uh, idea, and this is what we want it to be about. This is what we want to say on the pint. This is what I want to say in the marketing materials. We will absolutely have conversations about is that the right way to say it? It's not so much, is it too controversial or not? It's much more about does that achieve what we're setting out to do? Just the same way we'd measure any other part of the business. Is that going to move us towards what our goals are in that area and of course is what type of backlash might we get right so what kind of how do we handle when people ask this or they say yeah but you're being hypocritical because you said this and you did that yeah but you did this there's always yeah buts and if you and if you and if you want to be in a world in business where you're never going to get called out for being hypocritical good luck good luck right so even if you think about like our our dairy business we you know we got a cow on the package right there's a lot of people that feel that that people shouldn't be eating dairy products that's not going to happen anytime soon we make a great dairy product we also do have a vegan product and so some people might say don't you think you should just end all your business with dairy well no that's that's it's not something that's going to happen so being willing to get called out and just be like a duck and let that water kind of run off you is is just is is which is one of the things that, that you need uh, to do. So I'm not sure if I got to all the chunks and swirls of your question, but but uh, that I tackled at least the first part of it.
4: Just you, you, you were fantastic with the first part. Just a quick one for Nancy May is, and what about uh, pushback or how much freedom do you get uh, from your, from from the folks at Unilever? Yeah, so uh, we we have a a
2: trim, we have a tremendous amount of of freedom, uh, and I'd probably even frame it differently. Unilever, the folks uh, that I work with over at the rest of the company at Unilever, they need Ben & Jerry's to be leading on a lot of these topics. That's why Ben & Jerry's exists. And so this idea that Ben & Jerry's may be curtailed or reined in, I don't think is really an an apt way of talking about it. Does that mean that we do not have disagreements? Of course not. So if you go back several years ago, when GMO was really emerging in the food industry, Ben & Jerry's took a very specific position that we were anti-GMO. And we think GMO labeling should be the norm, that people, consumers should know whether or not your food product contains genetically modified organisms. Unilever was going in a different direction. So there was absolutely a difference of opinion about, well, we're a big food company and Ben and Jerry's is part of it. And that certainly um, uh, was an area that there was friction. And that's normal. Uh, and um I think being able to have honest conversations internally about where we disagree is essential to the ethos and success of brands. And again, it goes back to the comment that we were talking about before on old power, new power. If you've got somebody that's been in business for 25, 30, 35, 40 years, and she or he thinks they know better for every single brand and on all issues, no, don't talk about that. That's a very dangerous place. And I think we have to have, find a way to have honest conversations because typically people who are more senior have been around a longer time. They're also cast from a world that wasn't changing as fast as it is right now. So I think creating that dialogue and, and then for a lot of the senior folks on the call here is certainly something that I'm learning is my knee jerk reaction may be hell no, I don't like that or hell no, I don't think my should team do, should do that. I have to press the pause button and say, hold on a second here. How do I help navigate this when people come to me because I'm often the decision maker on on a lot of things at Ben and Jerry? So it's not only us with Unilever; it's also uh, my senior staff and I with the rest of the folks within Ben and Jerry's.
1: I'm going to jump in here for a second, Trish, Greg, I, I Matthew. Just uh, you were talking about all these uh, you know potential flavors and different types. Just I want you to think of bacon ice cream. Bacon. I'm just telling you, it's a big category. And uh, I just I just want to be part of the royalty on that one. And
2: don't think it hasn't come up. Thank you. <laughs> if you can
1: do it with bacon and scotch, even better. But nonetheless, all right. Let me ask you another question because you know, having been the CMO of Eastman Kodak, we were certainly a a branded house, Unilever a house of brands. What do you what do you take from other brands? What do you borrow from other brands that helps you at Ben and Jerry's? I can see where Ben, you know, Unilever can use Ben and Jerry's to be the one that's out there. It takes a little Mm -hmm. bit of that, takes some of the pressure off. It's good, bad, whatever. But but it's core to your ethos. So I don't think that's ever a question. I mean, it's really you can get a good sense of that in talking to you. But I'm real curious about what you bring from, you know, you take from other brands. That you might be able to use or borrow or steal inside of what you're doing for Ben
2: and Jerry's mm, uh, hubris is the death knell of all leaders and organizations oh, yeah. um, So, really to your question, um, having a bit of humility. Even when we're having great success at times, even when we're making great progress, having humility um, and really looking for best in class, we have a lot of businesses uh, that we consider heroes. There's a lot of other B Corps out there that we consider heroes. Uh, I could name a whole bunch, but they're... A lot of them are not in the food business. They may be in completely different industries, but we're watching carefully what they're doing. Often, we're talking with them because we're providing coalition efforts. So, very often, when a topic or an issue comes up, there's a kind of a group of organizations where we'll connect. My activism managers will reach out and they'll talk. Hey, who Who are those companies? Let's talk about them for a second. Who well, are one the, of the companies that uh, that uh, I really look up to? Is Patagonia? I was going to say Patagonia has got to be up there for you. Yeah. yeah, it's a great it's an incredible company that is basically led since uh, since day one. And yeah. and they're even more outspoken these days than ever on yeah. the environment and on climate justice and well, and,
1: and and values. I mean, the day after Thanksgiving, they go, we're closed. We're going to be enjoying the weekend. It's the time for employees to go out. They're closed. You know, the day after they're not Black Friday, they're not open. I think that's significant to say, no, we're out having a good time. You should do. It
2: anyway. goes, goes to that earlier question that someone asked. It's like, why would you close? I mean, right, you know, the same other businesses like REI, why would you close? Are you crazy? That's Black Friday. I guarantee you those businesses have, have surged. I the, the case studies are so clear that when businesses do things, um, even Nike with Colin Kaepernick, it's a huge business case, huge study, a business case study that people can look at. You know, the stock of the company surged. When they took these stands and they partnered with Colin and other professional athletes around Black Lives Matter and Know Your Rights organization and whatnot. So did they also have a lot of people do things like throw sneakers into a fire to burn them? Yeah. yeah, That's okay.
1: That's all right. And thanks for correcting me. It was REI. But Patagonia, I do agree with. And REI is the other one that I would put up there. C-Suite Radio.
3: I'm going to talk about uh, di- a diversity. So Steve Lashansky is one of our faculty leaders in C-Suite Network. Kathleen Caldwell is one of our faculty leaders, and she also leads the Women's Leadership Council of C-Suite Network. And so there's diversity in terms of your product lineup and how you're thinking about your business from that perspective, but then there's also the diversity you were just referring to. What are you doing in terms of diversity, inclusion, and belonging within Ben & Jerry's, how that fits with Unilever, uh, women in in different roles, obviously people of color, and and all the other types of diversity that we need to be thinking to to create really great businesses?
2: Um, I'm glad you asked this question. Uh, I think the, the short answer is we're not doing enough Let me just be super clear. Um, Now, there's a lot we are doing uh, in in fairness, and there's tremendous work that we've got underway that the team is doing. But I think it's important just to be really clear is that business leaders myself included need to be doing more particularly if you're a white man and you have privilege and i didn't really even understand these topics around white privilege i had no kind of concept of this for most of my life um and as i've as i'm learning more as i'm growing in my own understanding about systemic racism and how it pervades all parts of our country. It just is a fact. And people just need to get over it and start moving in the direction to understand and educate themselves. You know, Ben and Jerry's was founded by two white guys, super liberal, but white guys in the second whitest state in the United States. All right? So we are a very white company. Uh, we have a lot of white people in the business. Uh, on gender, we're much, much stronger. You know, over half of my st- staff, over half of our, our, our team are women. Uh, That doesn't mean we can't do more. Of course we can. Specifically, our focus is on racial, Black, Indigenous, and people of color. It's an area where we've really put a tremendous uh, uh, effort uh, to both learn, bring outside learning in, and be much more explicit about results-based accountability, root cause analysis, uh, and going beyond just saying, hey, we're going to make this big number pledge, right? We want to be an anti-racist company. We are not yet an anti-racist company. We're on our way. We've got people helping us. The team's really galvanized around it. We've got a lot of people working on a number of work streams specifically. But these are terms and topics that I couldn't even speak on several years ago. I just had no idea. I was too busy thinking about brands and marketing and my competition and my p and And all that stuff is still true. But uh, in the not too distant future, we are going to be in the United States a, a majority-minority come country that's already happened for young people, the people who are all of our future consumers. And so just getting my head around it, I'll speak personally, getting my head around both the social imperative and the business imperative of understanding racism in all of its forms, specifically structural racism um, and economic opportunity, economic fairness. We're business people. We can do something about these things. And often business can move a hell of a lot faster than other institutions in society. So I really just encourage people just to dive in. All I know is one thing is if I wait till I feel I'm ready, I guarantee you, I will have waited too long.
3: I love that. I mean, we talk about the responsibility we have to create an atmosphere where we can be uncomfortable. We can have the uncomfortable conversation. And when you were saying about you know, we can agree to disagree, that means you're actually exchanging to have some kind of understanding together. Are there other practical steps that you would recommend to our CEOs, our founders in terms of our executives? Try this, do these one or two things. What are you finding is most effective in trying to move that needle forward?
2: Oh man, there's, uh, there's a lot of things. A couple of things I would throw out. Uh, and again, I'm caveating that by I'm not an expert in systemic racism. I'm not an expert in white privilege. I, I'm not an expert in these topics. I'm very much a junior student. So I've got 30 plus years of business experience. I sit at the little kids table when it comes to some of these topics. And I think that's probably the first advice I would give people. Get comfortable to your point with being uncomfortable. And that's difficult for a lot of, you know, maybe a little bit more mature people, a little bit older, like myself, a little bit older, like people you've been around, you don't want to go, hey, I don't know what the hell you're even talking about. So I think the quicker we can um, embrace um, our limited understanding and appreciation of some of these topics, and that a lot of the stuff that we thought wasn't that case, even the history books in this country, I mean, completely missing, completely void of any uh, authentic conversation about the role of slavery, and all all the incarnations of hate and systemic oppression for people. These are really scary topics, particularly for white people, they're like, whoa, I didn't, you know, I'm not racist, you just have to kind of, so I think starting with the individual, you don't have to be perfect, you just got to have to want to understand it. And don't delegate is probably the other thing I would say, don't delegate, don't just hire a DEI head and say, she or he will take care of it, okay, we're good, how are our numbers? You know, numbers are symptoms, right? The same way that a PNL those are symptoms. Is your strategy? Is your is your execution? Is your is your is your philosophy? Is the way you're you're running your business working? You know, you can say that your PL is an output. It is a symptom of whether or not you've got good people, good business, good products, good strategy, good execution. The same can be said, I think, of uh, of, of of endeavoring to be an anti-racist organization. Um, And and, and so I think it all starts with the individual and just normalizing conversation about it. And then if there's another thing I would say is get some help. There are many, many, many people, practitioners, experts, many people who are Black, Indigenous, people of color who are waiting to be asked for help, not delegate to those folks, not say, you know, you, you teach me, you do it. We often white people need to do the hard work, but get some help. There are people waiting for you to ask for you to ask
4: them for their help. All right, I have a question. Um, An issue that was on the ballot in New Jersey and passed yesterday was the legalization of marijuana. So, just a quick question from a case study in Colorado: when when marijuana was legalized there, did you see a surge in Ben and Jerry's? And although there's, I suppose, you could say a dotted line relationship to cannabis through Ben and Jerry's through Cherry Garcia, and I suppose the the vibe you put out and the tie dye, et cetera, uh, how come you really never ventured into Jeff throughout bacon, but I would say the more logical companion to Ben and Jerry's might be something cannabis related. And you never really see any flavors or, or any of that maybe in, in the brand or in the flavorship. So one, do you sell more when marijuana is legalized? Talk about an issue. And two, why not a little bit more marijuana brand branding? Uh
2: <laughs> so uh, a couple of answers this is a great question um we we don't have any uh documented evidence that ben and jerry's sales go up uh around uh, uh activities that relate to cannabis uh recreational cannabis legalization Period. I'll confess that we don't track it. We don't study it. That's we don't have a study that says, you know, the base of these tracks, what you are what, what you're saying. So the answer is no, we don't see the connection there. That being said, we've always had uh, a lot of kind of jokes or puns uh, to your point, uh, connecting with cannabis culture four twenty jokes and, and different uh, recipes and things like that. So and we'll continue to do that. I think what we've done is we've tried to connect. Um, um, people being aware that there's a, a little bit of a playful connection between Ben and Jerry's and, and cannabis culture to talk about uh, how messed up um, the laws are and the prosecution of laws and how unfair, uh, you know, black people, and white people use cannabis at the same rate. Uh, and that's kind of documented in lots of different ways. But black men are are, are arrested at six to eight times the rate that white dudes are. That's screwed up. So how do we t- how do we actually use our connection to cannabis culture as a way to shine a light on something that doesn't work out? And the other thing I'd say is, I think you just need to be careful about dabbling in something that is, um, you know, it's a mind altering. It's, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it, it's yeah. a, well, yes, we have a- alcohol inspired flavors at Ben & Jerry's, you know, bourbon flavors uh, and other things like that. Those we've long done those are Kahlua flavors and different things over the years. Well, we really don't want to get into alcohol infused ice cream. We're really an all family product, to be honest with you. And so you have to think carefully about how you want to approach, you know, cannabis and all of its um, um, components, CBD and THC and whatnot.
4: OK, I think Trisha probably has one more question from the crowd. And then I, and then Allison will tell me whether or not we're going to wrap it up. OK.
3: I, uh, I I love this question and it speaks to how we hold our people accountable and how we create the culture as the CEO the 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 leaders within the organization. You know what is that accountability on the culture piece of it and how do you do that at Ben and Jerry's and then how do you how do you uh, uh, fit that in and that culture responsibility of your leaders across the whole of the organization as it fits with the different uh, Unilever units as well.
2: All right, uh, I think I've got the question. I just want to make sure I answer it so I don't blab on and not answer a question. When you say uh culture, can you be a little bit more specific in terms of what's my role in ensuring what's specifically about culture?
3: How are you how how are you holding your leaders accountable to the culture? So everything you've just spoken of, it's one thing for you as the CEO to say, this is our culture, this is what we're doing. But how are you holding your leaders accountable to that same approach? with all of their teams and so on?
2: Yeah, um, the uh, great great question. Um, I, I think that because uh, what we stand for uh, and what we're trying to do is very clear to folks when they come into the business that I, I don't have to spend a lot of time cajoling people into these are the things that we need to be doing or why aren't you doing that type of thing. So it's not so much the what uh, of, the, of the culture, but maybe the how. Um, and that's probably where the nuances actually uh, come in a bit. I think that um, culture should be measured and tracked, and people should be held accountable for it just the way we're accountable to our sales and our profit. How we do that needs to be a, a, a bit different. But I think that, you know, in order to attract, develop, and retain the best talent, Culture is every bit as important as our business results. I know saying it sounds pretty obvious, but we know lots of organizations don't do it. And I'm guilty of falling short plenty of times in in my career on that space. One of the ways that I uh, that I hold others accountable is by making sure that they know that I'm accountable to them as well. So I'm a big, big fan of of individual coaching. I have a I have a personal coach, and I don't hide that. I make that super clear. I want my coach to talk to my staff, and I want my staff to provide my coach feedback on what I could be doing better. How can I? How do you see me showing up as a leader? And then using that as a way to say, okay, to each of my leaders, now we're going to do it with you too. But it's 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 a, it's more of a kind of a we're in this together. My positional power is very clear. It's I'm the CEO. I don't need to hammer anybody on the head. That's the that's 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 my role. That's what I have uh, is is a responsibility. So I don't feel the need to be kind of going around a bit. To Jeff was saying, kind of uh, you know following up on versus following. I think that's a really really powerful way of describing it. I think the courage of having 360 feedback and to do it regularly, consistently with compassion and with intent um, can be a real big unlock for culture because people trusting each other is the bedrock of all culture. You know, if you want to move mountains, you need many shovels. In order to have many shovels, people need to want to see the vision, but also trust you. If they don't feel you have your back, they're not going to dig hard. They're not going to want to move that mountain for you. So I don't want to say it's really basic, but this idea of 360 feedback and using it done the wrong way, we know how corrosive that can be. People using 360 is a kind of revenge, or as a way to get information about why they can fire somebody, or you know, create the business case to kind of get them moved out of the organization. There's plenty of toxic ways that 360 feedback is used. What I'm talking about is the opposite. Is it is it is being being willing as a person who has positional power to say to those around you, "How can I show up better to help you?" And that can be for some people, that's natural. For other people, it's really scary because you may not want to because you I have to figure out how to hold people accountable. To the to what we agreed, and at the same time, be willing to say, can you give me some feedback on how I can be a more effective leader?
3: Mm -hmm. Phenomenal. And, you know, just tying on to that a little bit, and it was one of the questions earlier on. The the tension, I mean, if you believe in your brand, you've gotta be willing to go out on a limb for it, right? When you think you have something that's really important. So that tension, what we called earlier on or what you did with Jeffrey in that conversation, the healthy tension, do you find that that's, that formula or that balance has changed a little bit with COVID uh, where people are feeling more tension externally or more tension in terms of the financial impact of what's happened with COVID? How are you managing that culturally?
2: Interesting. Um, uh, Tension is necessary. Tension is required for growth. We all know it. And I think it should be called out. If if you're not feeling any tension, you may be dead, just don't know it yet. Uh, uh, And if everything's seeming honky dory and everything's perfect and you got it all figured out, I'd say you're in in deep trouble. (laughs) You're in deep trouble. And so it's not about whether or not. It's what's the 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 nature of the tension, mm. and and I like to say that you know we're, as leaders we, we're in the urgency business, and urgency is a type of tension, and you can create negative urgency through fear, stress, uh, but I find that humans we do our best work when we're moving towards carrots versus away from sticks. Uh, And so creating tension that's anchored in in people's aspirations, whether it's their personal purpose. So everybody that I work with has the opportunity to create their own personal purpose statement, their own personal purpose journey, because we all need to know that about each other. We need to know why we're all here. We're not just here to sell ice cream, but there's other stuff that's brought us here. And so I think keeping acknowledging the tension, and in fact, in some ways, increasing tension and making sure that that tension is is a healthy one, is a positive one, and it's anchored in people's aspirations and working together. Because then when you have the tension that comes from conflict, no, Bill wants to do it this way and Sarah wants to do it that way. Well, someone's gonna have to be right here. Sorry, you're not gonna have it your way. It's actually that larger, we are moving towards things that we desire, things that make us proud, things that uh, that connect with us as individuals, that larger force that helps people get over those speed bumps. But if all you have is speed bumps and all you have is that, that tends to be a more, I think the a little bit more of a hallmark of a, a more of a toxic environment uh, and how you deal with the attentions and telling people, listen, we're not gonna walk out of this room here with everybody getting their way. We're all clear about that, right? Sometimes just saying that can take the tension down because everybody then realizes that their idea may not be the one that the group or the boss picks. So kind of right. help people understand uh, how to move towards good tension and have it move the boat through the water versus everybody's paddling their own way, but the boat isn't even moving.
3: Well, in everything you just said, it completely embodies culturally the mission-driven organization. So what a wonderful way to end this uh, time together. I'm going to hand things back to Greg. Um, but Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. What an incredible conversation, and we can't wait to see you more in the C-suite.
2: Really great questions. Thank you all so much for including me. I hope you and your family stay safe and healthy. And everybody on the on the on the call here, thanks very much for for lending your time. And uh, I, um, I hope everyone takes care of themselves, particularly over the
0: next coming days and weeks.